Well, we talked a little bit last week, and, and the Holy Spirit just began to uh, minister to us the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is within us. But what did we learn about that? That God's presence wants to dwell on the inside of us, but it's not in the fullness, right? It's a, it's a down payment. He, give us, he gave us the earnest payment of the full purchase price of redemption, but it came in the form of presence. I want to talk about that a little bit today, and I want to talk about knowing God, because if there was ever time in, in human history, especially in American history, that I've been alive, man, do we need to have a greater understanding and know God. People are searching, they're looking for something, but they're not sure what they're looking for, and then they may have thought they found God, but they found a religion, and then when the religion fell short of God's presence, then they dropped the religion and they blamed God. So there's more of God uh, than, than, uh, than we know, but God wants to deal with us through his word, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, I didn't come to you with just enticing words of men's wisdom. He said, but also came to you in power and demonstration that your faith wouldn't be based upon just what I said, but the power and the presence of Almighty God. So when you've encountered God, you know it. Yeah, so sometimes people encounter God in religion, but they didn't encounter God in his presence. And religion will always leave you wanting. It'll, you'll wake up and say, well, I, I'm going to church and I, I call myself a Christian, but there's still something missing. You know, when I led my, my older sister, Laura, to the Lord, she was considered, she considered herself a Christian. She was a believer and she, she went to the Catholic church, converted Catholic to get married. And there's nothing wrong with the, with the Catholic people that God loves Catholics and everything. Uh, but there was still something missing in her religious relationship with God. And it was trying to be filled up with piety, ceremony, and and being a part of, of a church. But when I led her to the Lord, it wasn't in a catechism class. It was in her living room on North Broadway up in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And when I explained to her out of her Catholic Bible that you must be born again, God isn't about you getting to him through uh, by religion. It's about God coming to you with his presence and his love, his grace and his mercy. And I, I showed her in her Bible, you have to be born again. The kingdom of God is not with observation and not with piety. The kingdom of God is within you. Uh, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I said, do you know what it means to be born again? I said, do you know what Titus was talking about when he was talking about washing and regeneration of the word of Almighty God? No, I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means to be born again. I said, well, ask your priest. And the priest said, well, that's catechism. And I said, well, I asked him if it's catechism, how did my brother get it in a beauty salon? I can't get no help up in here. And so when we prayed right there and she repented of her sin and took away every other mediator between her and God and put Jesus right there. It wasn't a church, wasn't a priest, wasn't mama's religion, wasn't daddy's religion, wasn't my husband's religion. I moved all other mediators out of the way. I moved Mary out of the way. I moved the rosary out of the way. I moved everything out of the way, and then I put Jesus right there. Yes, sir. 
And when we prayed, the Holy Spirit showed up in her heart as we prayed. You could just sense and feel the presence of God and the blood of Christ being applied. And she was being born again. And when we got done with that prayer, she says to me, and it was like an epiphany, a a light bulb went off. And her eyes got as big as saucers and, and it was like, oh my goodness, something just happened. She said, Jimmy, I always knew there was more. And everything, if you put anything, any other mediator between you and God other than Jesus, you will still be wanting. And that also is the Christian religion. People put the Christian religion as that mediator between them and God. And the pres- and there's, what's missing is the presence. God wants to be known and his presence. His presence is attracted to people. God desires to have a personal relationship with you and your family. And we're going to talk about the progressive knowledge of God and how to know him. Go to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. And we're going to go to, um, I'm just going to hit um, Exodus 6 and verse 3. I hit this a few weeks ago, but I'm going to build something else on it as well today. Because right now, Christmas, Jesus, the baby, the manger, all those things, Santa Claus, reindeer, Christmas trees. I mean, it's it's just a confluence of a whole lot of stuff. And I had that growing up myself. We had the reindeer on the mirror. We had the, the spray snow. We had the, uh, the cotton across the mantle. We had the Christmas tree. We had all that. Then we had over here, it was kind of interesting. We had over here a, a manger scene, and we had the baby, and we had Mary and Joseph and the sheep, and, and we had all that. So we had, we had Santa and the reindeer. We had, we had Jesus in the manger. And what, what was it about? I don't know. It was about Christmas. Uh, and the only thing I was concerned with as a child, like most of you, was what am I getting? What's mama going to get me? How many daddy doing all right? He ain't get laid off yet, did he? I want something under that tree. I need some presents, and and so during this time of year, it is about hey, we want to show the world that God wants to be known through His Son, but God is a God of progression. Look what he says here in verse 3. And I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. So, So what is he saying here? No matter what you think or how much you think you know about God, there's more to know about God. No matter how much you have experienced about God or from God, there's more to experiencing God. Sometimes we, we get a little revelation, a little snippet of God, and then we, we think that's the, the, the end of, to know all, and, and we put it in a little box over here, and we say, that's God. We, we, we put it in a camp over here, and we say, no, that's God. And we, we got God in all these different camps and denominations and churches and, and religions and because we got just one little snippet of revelation of God, and we put it in a box, and we say, hey, if you want God, it comes in that box. Let me tell you something. God is so much bigger than the box that we put him in. And you can have as much God as you want. If you, you can, God will make himself known to you as much as you want to press into him. 
Somebody say amen. There's so much more to God to being known. So how does God uh, want to be known? How does he introduce himself? You know, when we go back to the book of Genesis, here's some things that we can learn about God. We know that God reveals himself to us through nature. You know, the apostle Paul said that, that God can be known through nature. And as we go back to the book of Genesis, we find out that uh, God is a, is a God of order. He's a God of order and design. You want to know God today? You want to know something about God? First thing we got to know that God is a God of order. He's, he's a God of design. So what do you mean? The Bible says in Genesis 1-1 that the earth was void and without form and darkness was upon the deep and chaos was everywhere. And God said, I got to put some stuff in order. Sometimes you can look at your life and find out how much God you got. Just look how much order is in your life. You, you draw closer to God and his word, you can have more order in your life because God is a what? He is a God of order. We find out through this creation that he created the earth, that he's also a God of diversity, right? He, he, he didn't just make one kind of flower. He didn't just make one kind of fish. He didn't just make one kind of animal. He, did, he didn't just make one kind of fruit. Uh, uh, he just, uh, you know, he, he made, got black people, white people, red people, yellow people. He don't want white people being black people, black people being white people, yellow people wanting to be uh, Hispanic people. No, he likes it the way that he made it. And embrace the way that God has made you. Doesn't make you better doesn't make you lower. It is a part of God's design of diversity. Now, I know the devil likes to divide and make diversity divisive, but that's not God. We all one in Jesus Christ, right? Ah, yeah. So the devil is a liar. So anytime you see God's diversity used as a, a, a device of division, you know the devil is at work. And he's under our feet. So we find out that God is a God of diversity. We also see that God, he is not a God of scarcity. He's a God of more than enough. He, he made more sand than you can count, more stars than you, you can number. He, he, he's a God of more than enough. He, he, he'll make a way for you. He, he, he's not lacking. There's enough oil out there. There's all the oil that we need. He's a God of more than enough. All the resources that we need as, as his human children until his return and the setting up of the millennial kingdom, they're all there. They're all available. There's enough ore to be mined. There's enough oil to be dug. There's enough, there's enough energy on the planet. There's enough sunshine. But he's, he's also uh, a, a God of specific, uh, more than enough. And he puts it with specific purposes. The sun's just the right distance. The moon's just the right distance. Too close, it'll burn you up. Far away, you'll freeze to death. No, God is a God of plan, design, purpose, and he's a God of more than enough. We also find out that he is a speaking God. God speaks, right? Okay, you want to know God, right? This is how we know him. It's not something spooky. He reveals himself to us in his word, but he is a speaking God. As a matter of fact, when there was nothing, God spoke, but he wasn't speaking for communication. He was speaking for creation. So we know that God speaks to create. For God said, let there be. God stood on nothing and spoke and framed the world's. 
He's a God that speaks. He spoke here in the beginning when there was no one there to hear. Uh, yeah, I know it's hard to wrap your mind around that, but he's God. And we, we, we really don't have the capacity to, 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 to jump up into his realm. Understand this, if God did not want to be known, there's no way possible that you could ever know him. You in your human state and fallen creation do, do not have the capacity to step into the realm of God to be able to know him. Although people have always tried, how can we know God? Let's build a tower. Let's, let's go to technology. We're going to become gods, whatever. But if God didn't want you to know him, you wouldn't have the ability to know him. So the very fact that you're sitting here this morning and you know him tells you that God wanted you to know him. Yes, sir. He wanted to be known by you. He loves you this morning. But if he didn't want, you, want to be known, then there's no possible way that you can know him. We know that God is a, what? He's a speaking God. We see that. And, uh, and then we, we found out when God created things, he created things, and the Bible says after he created them, he said they were good. So we see that when God created the animals in the day and the night, and when he was throughout his creation process, he would say things like, and it was good. God, God, so we know that God is concerned about good, Right? He's a good, good God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above in whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. Are we learning about God? Do we want to know him? It's not something spooky out there, something abstract, something that we got to, hmm. No, 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 no. No, God reveals himself to us in progressive knowledge, and we can find it right here in his word. Do you want to know who God is? No matter, and as I said before, no matter how much we know right now, there's always more to know. Glory to God in the highest. Oh, press in to him. How do we do it? Through his word, through prayer, and through worship, God will, will be made known. Progressive revelation. The apostle Paul said this way. He said, I want God, I would that God give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened to know what is the hope of the riches and the inheritance of the saints. He wants you to know God. God wants to be known by you. How many of you want to know God this morning? I mean, people just, I, I, I know we're living in a generation where people just seeking and searching. And, and it, it, God, is, is that you over here? And, and if that is you, how can I recognize you? Well, we're learning about God right now. This is, this is how God operates. This is who God is. And he gave us a little format in his word. I know, it's, well, that seems so simple, yeah, yeah, but, but, but so, so far away. No, it's the simplicity of the gospel and God's word that reveals himself to us. He wants to be known, and he is concerned with good. Good is when what God created fulfills its purpose without injury. I said, good is what God created that fulfills its purpose without injury. Remember the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? There are some things that were good that produce injury, right? But it's not the goodness of God. I mean, you might say different technologies. Man, that's a good technology, but it's creating injury everywhere. The technology of the internet, social media, and all these different things. AI. Oh, man, that's good. But outside of the original intent of God, it has the capacity to be abused and manipulated for injury. 
right? So it's take yourself. God created you for his pleasure, and he wants his goodness to fill your life. But if you, if you take... Um, if you, if you take a nail and you want to drive it into to wood and you're going to use a, a shoe to do it, you might, you might break the heel off of the shoe because it wasn't intended. That, that's not what it's created for. That, that's not its purpose. And us as humans, sometimes we, we, we take our own selves and we, we become subject to abuse because we're not being used for the original intent and the original purpose, Right? Oh, God has a plan for your life. He wants you on track and tracking with him in that plan. It's not that hard, but it has to be pursued. He said, uh, let me, so God, good is when God is what he created, fulfills his purpose without injury. Now, God made everything good in his creation before he ever put man in it, Right? So he said, everything's good. The planet's ready. I'm about ready to, to form man from the dust of the ground, my human children. You want to know God, right? So God created man in his image and his likeness, but he did not recreate himself. So man was created in perfection, but he was not eternally perfect. Only one being is eternally perfect, and that is God himself. So in order for God to make anything uh, that, 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 that has animation, his human family, his human children, his, his divine children, in order to, to make some type of animated eternal living being that does not have the capacity for imperfection, he, he would have to make himself. But he didn't. So everything that he created, his divine children, you know this, his human children, we were made and perfect and in his image, but not eternal perfection because he didn't make himself. So therefore, we had the capacity for imperfection. How I many already know that? I know y'all think I'm perfect up here, but no, I do have the capacity. Lighten up, people, for imperfection, right? Don't we all? So God is a God that is concerned with good. He made everything good, put man in it. And then after he put man in the garden, and it was a good place, it was a good garden, had a God's plan on it. Man was a co-laborer with him. What's the next thing we realize? That God shows up. He made it good, put man in it, created an atmosphere and an environment where he could show up with his presence and have communication with man. He wants to be present in your life. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, say, God wants to be present in your life. Yeah. But what, what happens now? When, when man lost good, he lost the presence. Is that not right? And so the presence of God departed, man was left to his own devices, corruption set in, and here we are some 6,000 years later, there's nothing worse than a person that's been turned over to themselves. When God leaves you alone, listen, you, you, it, it, it's not going to get better for you, right? The worst thing that could ever happen to you is God turn you over to yourself. How many of you ever been turned over to yourself? I mean, I've been turned over to myself, and then when I found out what was left with myself, I thought, I don't want to be left to myself. I need some help up in here. I need God in my life. Yeah. 
I am subject to self-destruct without the presence of God in my life. And even with the presence of God in my life, I got to press into something. Because the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Are we learning about God today? Now, we, if we want to go forward here just a little bit, you, you, we find out that, that uh, from, from creation to the fall, when God left his presence, here come the, the, the fallen ones, and, uh, and they, they, they pollute the seed of humanity, and they create evil all over the world. Genesis chapter 6, and there was only one pure blood left in lineage, and that was Noah, and God wiped out the rest of the Nephilim, the perverted DNA. He flooded the whole earth and said, "Mm -mm, this ain't what I had in mind up in here. But he had Noah and then God, after the flood was over, then God revealed himself in a Noah covenant, the rainbow. Ain't that something? Who's trying to steal the rainbow, right? Uh, The rainbows that y'all seeing today aren't the rainbows of original intent. It was a covenant God had with Noah saying, I'm never going to destroy the earth like that again. I'm never going to flood it again. And so, so man marches on and, and man begins to, to populate and, and there's a void and, 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 and God is known to a, a few and a, a, a handful of people. And then God throughout time, he says, well, I'm getting ready to do something historical. I'm getting ready to, what are we getting ready to celebrate? Christmas uh, and the birth of Jesus. And so, so God says, I'm getting ready to prophetically do something historical, so I've got to engage man again to fulfill that plan of original intent. And what's he do? He goes and finds Abraham. Abraham was a pagan worshiper. Abraham worshiped false gods. Well, don't get all upset with Abraham because, or the Chaldeans or anyone else in those days, and I'll talk about that here in just a little bit, but they were just worshiping the gods of their culture. They didn't know no better, and God wasn't making himself known. Only thing they know, there was a flood, and they knew Noah, and, and, and they, knew, they knew the rainbow covenant, and, and the, but, 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 but where's God at in all this? I mean, talking about centuries gone by, and people act like today God's like some chatty Cathy. He talks to him every 30 seconds. Help me, Lord Jesus. And so the people of God, remember, uh, he had Abraham. He was, the, he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was known as the God of the patriarchs, right? He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What he said here, the patriarchs, they knew me by God Almighty, but Jehovah was not revealed unto them. The the names of Jehovah, who I am, I am that I am. And in Jehovah, you can find out a lot about the character and the nature and the, the will of God through another name, progressive revelation. But the children of Israel, let's speed it up here just a little bit. They were... The God of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. What happens to Joseph? Joseph leaves Canaan, goes into Egypt, right? How I many you know that story? We're going somewhere. We're going to get there. They go, he goes into, he goes into to Egypt as a slave. He goes into Egypt as a prisoner. And then God raises him up in Egypt and brings every one of the patriarchs out of Canaan. 
and they brings them into the land of Egypt. And what did Jacob say? He said, we're going to be here a while, but when God brings you up out of here, out of Egypt, because I, I know Egypt's not the landing spot. Egypt was not attached to a, 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 the covenant promise. What did he tell Abraham? I'm going to give you land. <clears throat> I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you a specific spot. I'm going to give you a specific place and land. Why? Because he's thinking ahead a little bit, right? Christmas, Jesus has to be born. Where is he? Right? In, in, from the land of Canaan, right? But here, the God of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they end up in Egypt. And for 400 years, God raises up uh, the, the Israelites in, in bondage. Uh, you know, uh, there, was a, there was a pharaoh that rose up that didn't know Joseph and put all the children of Israel in bondage and slavery. They knew they were different. And so for those 400 years, the children of Israel, they didn't know God for themselves. They knew God as the God of the patriarchs. We pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? They didn't know God for him. So all they knew is that we pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in that, don't, don't get all upset with them because they're in Egypt and they're in that culture and they're indulging in the culture of Egypt and they're introduced to thousands of gods and, and perversions and, and different things. Just, people have a hard time understanding when Moses went up to the mountain and brought down the law, all the children were dancing around a calf. They didn't know God. That's why Moses went up and got the tablets to introduce God. God to them. All they knew God was, he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I pray to the God of the patriarchs. This is progressing. Are you getting this? And so when, when, <clears throat> when they're, when they're in, in, in Egyptian bondage, they pray to the God of the patriarchs, and then God is bringing a progressive revelation and knowledge of himself to his children what does he do? He raises up Moses and he says, Moses, go in and get them. Here in Exodus, he said that they knew by, by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is God Almighty, but Jehovah's getting ready to come on the scene. I'm getting ready to give you a little bit more revelation of myself, my purpose, my plan, and my intent. But this takes time for God to work out his eternal plan because he invited his human children into the process of populating his eternal kingdom. He didn't just sit down saying, oh, there's a bunch of dirt. Let me just go ahead and form a billion people with embedded history in them. He said, no, I created man. I'm going to give them the pleasure. I'm going to give them the, the blessing. I want them to be co-laborers with me. I want them to participate. I've created them in my image, and I gave them procreative powers. And they're going to be the ones that receive the blessing of populating an eternal kingdom. That's why marriage is always under attack. The marriage of a man and a woman is always under attack. 
everything trying to deviate from the original intent of God. Why would Satan want to pervert men and women and trans and gay and all these different things? Why would he do that? Why would he introduce that? Because it brings men away from God's original intent. If I can get you away from realizing the blessing there is in a marriage of a man and a woman that create a human life and you accept that and you adopt that and you say, oh man, you're going to get the blessing of that. You're going to see something that that God's way is a better way. And so so the enemy would just love to get you get get people and human beings off of the original intent, but but God progresses this thing, and and now He says, "Wait a minute! Now now you're not just going to be a a people of, from from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, God can be known through somebody else. I mean, a lot of children are raised in Christian homes, and they know they know who God is because of their parents." They knew who God is because they they were drugged to church three times a week for 15 years. But if there doesn't come a time when it goes from being the God of mommy and daddy and grandpa and grandma, and God knew this, we got to progress this thing from the children of Israel praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to become their God. You can only run on someone else's knowledge of God for so long, right? You can only run on someone else's revelation. And God allows that. But it's just a, it's just a placeholder. Because I'm about ready to reveal myself that, that I, and I'm not just their God. I'm a God of presence. I want, I want to be in your life. I want to be known by you. And so he... He brings them out of Egyptian bondage, and all of a sudden, the children of Israel are like, whoa, there's a pillar of cloud there, and there's a pillar of fire there by night. God's God's presence is getting closer. God is revealing himself. He revealed himself in judgment first upon Pharaoh's head in the land of Egypt. He revealed himself, I'm a God of judgment, because judgment always comes before presence. (laughs) Listen, this world's about ready to be judged because the presence of God is about ready to... Descend upon us. Jesus is coming. But before he comes, this earth is about to be judged. Someone say amen. I got to judge some things before I can introduce my presence. That's why you can't get saved any old way you want to. The only way you can get saved really in reality and sense and feel the washing and the cleansing of the blood applied is first to realize that God has judged your sin and you in trouble. You need to get saved. I don't know what I need to get saved from. People today, ain't nothing wrong with me. Well, what do I need to be saved for? I'm a good person. Well, you, you're a little bit of ways away from the blood being applied because you haven't realized that judgment has come to your sin. Let me just kind of slip this in there. This, this is a good nugget. What time is it? Okay. Jesus who took the sins of the world, right? We, we know what he did. 
He was born, did nothing wrong, age of 30, introduces himself as the son of God. Before Abraham was, I am, and also the eternal God incarnate inside of a flesh suit. Come to pay a debt that he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could not pay. And you see what happens. He did these things. And then what happens? It came time for sin to be judged. Sin must be judged. So what did they do? Jesus said, I'm going to judge sin. And they're going to take my innocent body. I have no sin in me. Therefore, I qualify to judge sin. I qualify to judge death. I qualify to judge Satan, the, the, the fallen murderer, old slewfoot. I, I qualify for this, and then I freely give myself to become the propitiation of all humanity's sin. You know the story. They, they beat him, kicked him through the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem. They judged him. They plucked his beard out. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They kicked him. They spit upon him. They mocked him. They drug him through the streets of Jerusalem. They took him up to Mount Golgotha, and they strapped him on a cross, and they, they put, pierced his hands, and they beat the nails in his feet and and there he is hanging on the cross between two thieves naked ashamed mocked and hated and never did anything but good consider jesus of nazareth who went about doing good he was trying to bring good back turn your neighbor say somebody bring good back Okay, so there he is on the cross. We know he won a great battle in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will be done, but thy will be done. What was he struggling with in the Garden of Gethsemane? Was it the nails? Was it the cat of nine tails? Was it the rejection of his own brethren? What was he struggling with? Was it the pain And the scourging, was it the crown of thorns? Was it the crucifixion itself? What was he, what was the big battle over? Why did he say, is there any other way? You would think in our minds, we would think, well, it's got to be. Because he don't want to feel the nails. He don't want that thorn, crown of thorns on his head. It, it, it's got to be that. No, it, it's, it's, it's got to be the cat of nine tails. He, there's a, he's just thinking about the cat of nine tails. Is there any other way? No, I'm telling you, it goes far beyond the struggle of physical pain in the flesh and what his body and how his body was going to be brutalized. That's, what, that did, that's not what caused him to say, is there any other way? There's a statement that he makes upon the cross that gives you a glimpse into the uh, the crescendo, the 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 apex, the, the 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 that moment in eternal history, and what had to happen to seal the deal. Oh, yes, it was death, but it wasn't death first. Something else had to happen. Mm. What did he say upon the cross? He said, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Separation. Jesus had to experience what it was like to be separated from God. Before the full price of the penalty of sin could be sealed. Oh, I did it all. I went through the crucifixion. I took the pain. I'm about ready to to, to be killed. I'm telling you, they killed Jesus on the cross. But before his body stopped breathing, Jesus felt death. What is death? Death is separation. When you die, what happens? You're separating from your body. Jesus died before he died. This was the weight of sin. This is, this is, I'm trying to show you the value of presence. And, and the value that God places on presence to be present with my children, it's valuable. My own son suffered separation from me who has been with me from eternity past sitting in glory. The penalty for sin was massive. And the price that had to be paid is unfathomable. We can't even wrap our minds around it. I mean, maybe you can. I can't. Where God separates himself from himself to fill the weight of his children's separation. And when he, in that moment, all of a sudden, he could see why. Why they went from worshiping God and walking in the cool of the day and in the one generation turned into murderers. Cain, killing Abel. Just a few years after God left the garden. Jesus on the cross. I mean, I, was, I understand that. All of a sudden, you're walking with God and everything's good. And the next thing you know, God's children become a bunch of murderers. And Jesus on the cross, and when he separated, as God in the flesh, the price of separation, the knowledge of evil, the knowledge of good being perverted, the pain of murder, the pain of separation, the pain of rape, the the pain of abuse, the pain, the cost of being without God's presence. He felt it so you can know. He knows how you feel And he knows how you got there.
Do you love him this morning? Well, go ahead and give him a hand clap of praise then. I might have to make this a two-parter. I don't even know. Oh. So God says, all right, I'm bringing, I'm bringing my presence back. And he's getting ready to, 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 to not only become a God of presence to the children of Israel, he's also uh, being revealed as a God of the promise. I got you a land. I got you a promise. I got you a place. I got you a promise. I got you a land. But before you get your promise, huh, yeah, you need to know my presence. So he takes them over to Mount Sinai, and, and Moses goes up to the mountain. And what is the Ten Commandments all about anyway? The Ten Commandments was God's introduction to a people who've lived in slavery, under bondage, under the rule of demonic power, false gods, uh, demon power for 400 years. They worshiped calves and had orgies at the same time. They were just a wicked people. But they still pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how do you know that? Because they got out. He said, I heard their cries. They prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I brought them out. Now I got to introduce myself to them. Here's my character. Here's my law. This is what I am. This is what I expect. And the children of Israel said, nope, can't do it. Moses, you going up by yourself can't deal with this. Well, if you want the presence, you got to get the law. There's some structure, there's some, there, there's some intent that comes. There's certain protocols that have to be set in place in order for my presence to be there. Here's some protocol for you. The Ten Commandments. And then so, the, so they're there and they're, 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 they're worshiping God and then, then he... He says, okay, well, I'm, this is going to be represented in a box. I'm going to build an ark. And I'm going to put, I'm going to put the law in there. I'm going to put Aaron's rod that butted in there. <laughs> I'm going to put man in there. I'm going to let you know I'm a God of structure, judgment, and law. I want you to know that I'm a God of resurrection power. I don't have time to get into all that with Aaron's rod that butted. But I will say this. Everyone wanted to be in charge <laughs> in the wilderness. Everyone wanted to take the lead. And God said to Moses, go get 12 uh, rods of a tree and place them before the box, one representing every tribe, and the one that buds, they're the priesthood, they're in charge, they're the man. And they put him in the front of the box, and here comes Aaron's rod that budded. And God's still doing it today. I know you might think it's Muhammad, but no, he been judged. You might think it's Buddha, but no, his rod did not bud. Jesus is the only one that came from death back to life. Aaron's rod came from death back to life. I'm going to put my stamp of approval on the one in charge. Here's 12 dead things, and the one that comes alive, you can look to him. 
That's why I look to Jesus and not Buddha. That's why I look to Jesus and not Muhammad and Hare Krishna and every other false lying God and demigod from time in history. Yeah, I know who's rod butted. I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. I might be dumb, but I ain't plumb dumb. I, I know what I've seen with my own eyes. Yes, it was dead and now it's alive. You say, well, you wasn't there. Oh, I was there when he separated himself from God because it was my sin that caused it. Isn't God a good God? You getting anything this morning? All right. So he puts it in an ark. His presence is in an ark. He takes the presence of God. You know, they really weren't a warring people. I mean, they won some battles, but, you know, it wasn't like the Egyptians. I mean, they didn't have chariots. and They didn't have war horses, all this kind of stuff. I mean, <clears throat> They really weren't known for a great fighting people, but they were known for they, they had a box. <laughs> and all the people knew that as long as they had the box, which represented the presence, right? What was the box? It was God's presence. Where was it put? It was put in the tabernacle. And where did God consume the sacrifice? From on top of the box. Represented his presence. God wants to be present in our lives today. I'm winding this up. So they take the box. <clears throat> they... they Learn about God's judgment. They learn about God's law. They learn about you know, God's presence. And now either God said, now, now I want you to take my presence into the promise. See, sometimes we get it backwards. We want the promise without the presence. And we want the presence I mean, we want the promise without the presence because we know to get the presence, it comes after judgment. <laughs> don't judge me. All right, you don't want the presence. Yeah, you're right, I don't want the presence. I just want the promise. I don't need the presence if I got the promise. I just want my stuff. So the carrying the presence of God and the people knew that God was with them. And every time the presence of God, God was there, they won battles. I mean, they didn't have to draw swords. They brought out trumpets and walls came crashing down. I mean, but, but they had a box. God was with them. Is God with you this morning? Do you know God is living? The God that was on the box is in you? <laughs> Woo! You can't be defeated. Well, I'd say, no, you can be defeated if you start to disvalue or devalue the presence of the box. This is what happened to the children of Israel after a generation uh, or so. They started devaluing the box and they started intermingling their worship with the culture. And the Bible comes to a man by the name of Eli, who was the priest representing the box in the temple and the, the tabernacle, whatever. 
And the Bible says that Eli got old. His vision got dim. And he got sluggish. And the fire went out. I just, man, you could just put, put some churches on that, couldn't you? So what happens? The priesthood, what's he do? He falls over and breaks his neck, disconnected from headship, just cut off. The Philistines knew the power of the box. They knew that they started devaluing the box. They let the fire go out. There was no vision. They were intermingling with gods and women. And so the Philistines, they came and they stole the box. They stole the presence of God from the children of Israel. Didn't go well for them. That's another sermon. But they knew if they had wanted victory, we got to get that box. We, and Satan knows that in order for him to have a victory in your life, he's got to get the box. He's got to get the presence of God out of your life. So he wants to always draw you into dark places. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I've been lit and on fire and drawn into dark places. I know the power of the devil and the power of the flesh. The power of peer pressure. I got the box one minute, but someone's calling me into the dark. They're trying to cut off my vision. They don't want me to see clearly. They want me to get sluggish in my attitude. And they want to cut me off and break my neck and cut me off from God. So the, the Philistines said, hey, let's go get the box. They put the box and they took it into their temple, the temple of Dagon, their God. Funny how Dagon falls over and breaks his arm, breaks his neck, and, and, they just, and then they, 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 well, that didn't work out well for them. You can't try to put the presence of God in the wrong temple. Yeah, we, we're trying to put God's presence in a temple that we're unwilling to prepare for him, all right? And, uh, and so what happens? How, 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 how's this thing unfold? Well, you know what happens. Old, old David, how many remember David? David gets a revelation, says, hey, we got to bring the box back. We got to bring the presence of God back into Jerusalem, the promise. We got to get the the presence and the promise back together again. And sometimes you get the promise because of the presence, and then the promise becomes more valuable to you than the presence. That's what happened to Israel. That's what happened to America. We use the principles of Christianity and the laws of God and the revival fires of Reformation in the 1700s and the 1800s that gave birth to a great nation. In God we trust. Uh, A church in every town square and Bibles in our school and laws on the courthouse. We got it all, baby. We set it up and structured it uh, according to the presence of God. And then the presence of God got us the blessings. And then all of a sudden we start indulging the blessing and we said, okay, we want the presence 
We want the, we want the promise without the, 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 the presence. <laughs> and so now they're just indulging on the promise, and the presence of God is, has left. And that's why boys don't know what it means to be a boy. And we can't even tell the definition of a woman. And, and we don't even know what genders are and what sexes are and how we're supposed to have babies and what a family actually looks like. And, and two plus two don't equal four anymore. And you take God out of the schools. I got, I got, it's <clears throat> what you get. So they, David said, let's bring it back. And so they went and got the ark, and they got the ark back, and, and they put it on an ox cart. How many remember the story? They tried to bring the presence of God back on an ox cart. I mean, the ark weighs 615 pounds. Let's make it easy. We want to bring the presence back, but we want it as easy as possible. Let's put it on a cart and let's bring it back. And so you know the story. They, they, they take the, uh, the, the, the ark and the presence of God. They put it on the cart and, 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 and they're drawn by oxen. And the Bible says that one of the oxen stumbled and the cart began to rock and and Uzzah, remember Uzzah? Uzzah puts his hand up there and tries to steady the ark from falling off the car. He fell dead in his right there, gone. David's like, what am I doing wrong here? I'm only trying to do this. I'm trying to do God a favor here. I'm, trying, I'm, I'm coming to church. I'm trying to do God a favor. I mean, every time people skip out of the house of God and then they come back, uh, you know, seven months later, they think they've done God a favor. Oh, Lord, have mercy. We are here not for his benefit. We're here for our benefit in relationship and his presence in our life. I remember when I first got saved. I had so much pride after I got saved. I started going to church, and I started, and I was just prideful. And y'all lucky I'm here. Y'all lucky I'm parted. You're lucky. Oh. I mean, the kingdom really took a step up when I came into it. Just, 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 yeah, yeah. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or is this me? I just, just uh, <laughs> you should be honored that. <laughs> No, man, we're just all stinking, filthy, rotten flesh coming to an understanding that we need God more than we need anything. Yeah. So I'm closing. He, he, they, he says, well, wait a minute. We got to bring this back. And uh, something ain't working. Uh, okay. We're going to drop this thing off at old Obed-Edom's house. Bible said they dropped it off at Obed-Edom's house. And what happened? The box went from being with a crowd to one man. God will show up for one. And just because there's a bunch of people gathered over here doesn't mean the ark's not over here. Right? Right? Uh, 
I want to go to I want to go with Obed Edom. That's that's where. The, and so David searches protocol, and he finds out that the Ark of God is not to be carried on an ox cart. The Ark of God is to be carried by the priest on the shoulders. Why did it have to be carried? So you can feel the weight of it. And you can also feel when it's lifted. There is a burden with carrying the presence of God in your life. You can have the presence of God over here on some sidecar and you walking alongside of it. <laughs> I'm just going to show up to Obed Edom's house. No, it's to be carried. There's a burden that comes with it. And you'll know when it's been when it's been lifted. Sometimes we take the burden of the weight of the presence of God and we stick it over here in Obed-Edom's house and then we bling out the cart. <laughs> the church will bling its cart. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Are we going to put some bling on this cart? I know the presence ain't here no more. But we got a cart with bling. And it's on wheels, and someone else is bearing the burden. We're not yoked to it. It's those oxen over there, but we'll put some bling on it. It's to be carried. There's weight. Sometimes, you know, when the ox stumbled in the cart, was about to fall and people fell up under the weight of it and, and what happens if we we drop it and if you're going to carry the burden of the presence of God listen if you can carry the burden of the presence of God, if you can handle the weight of the burden of the presence of God, you can carry the weight of the burdens of people. But if you can carry the presence of God and the weight of the presence of God, you won't want nothing to do. You Put the people on the Put the people on the cart. Let the oxen carry them. Some people leave. No, this is sometimes. Some people leave a small church that's operating under the weight of the burden of the presence of God. But when you're in a small church, everybody feels the weight of it. It costs something. And you know, if you don't show up, someone else 
it's going to, the weight is directly going to be shifted to somebody else. But sometimes we'll go to a big gathering and it's easier because we don't have to carry any weight. We just show up. We, we lap up the benefits. <laughs> we sit in way back here and we slide in and we slide out. And hallelujah, that's great and wonderful. But you ain't carrying nothing. And if the glory of God shows up there, it ain't because you showed up. It's because someone there is carrying the burden of the weight of the glory. Oh, come on, put your hands together if you love him this morning. I don't think I'll get to this today, but I do want to, maybe I'll hit it next week. What happens when you're supposed to carry the burden and somebody drops you? I'm going to talk about a guy by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the son of a man by the name of Jonathan. Jonathan was the friend of David before he was David. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. He was in flux. He was in conflict because he loved David, but his daddy, the King Saul, wanted to kill him. And they, and Saul and Jonathan helped David escape with his life, and he, he put his own life on the line to spare David. He had a son by the name of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, the Bible says that when he was, when he was young, he was being carried by a nurse, and the nurse dropped him. Someone ever dropped you? You ever been dropped? The Bible says that his feet were broken, and he could not walk. Sometimes when you get dropped, you're having a hard time finding your footing because somebody dropped you that really didn't have the capacity to carry you. Yeah. And so Mephibosheth, he, he was lame, but he wouldn't present himself to the king because he was afraid that David would kill him because he was the son of Jonathan and the grandson of Saul. And David didn't want to kill him. He wanted to pick him back up. Put him at the king's table. Cover his brokenness and bring him to the king. Sometimes without the presence of God, we try to carry people and we just can't carry them over no more. You can't carry. There's some burdens you can't carry without the presence of God. That's why you come running back when the burden gets too heavy. I can't bear this pain. 
I can't carry this marriage anymore. I can't deal with my children anymore. I, I can't carry this financial burden anymore. I, I, can't, I can't carry this, this, this family issue anymore. I can't, I can't bear that burden anymore. I, I just want to drop it. I just drop it. Let it go. Let it go, man. Sometimes when you're ready to drop some things, it may ain't time to drop it yet. Maybe it's time to just draw nigh on to him. Because the more presence of him I have in my life, the more burden I'm able to bear. Some people have got some heavy burdens in here and watching this morning. And they're hard to bear. And it may seem unfair. But if it's a burden you're called to carry, he will manifest the measure of presence you need in your life to bear it. That's how I get up. I just, that's why I just keep getting up every day. I don't care how bad the burden is. That's why I come to church every Sunday. I, I got enough of the presence of God in my life to bear the burden and the weight that I'm under. Who ain't God good? <laughs> so if the burdens, wait a minute, wait, wait, I'm close. I'm close. I got to stop. He said, come learn of me. My burden is light and my yoke is easy. The presence of God comes with a burden. Sometimes we don't want to bear the burden. We want to put it on an ox cart and we'll sacrifice the presence of God so we don't have to carry it anymore. But there's no satisfaction without the blood applied, without walking in the will of God, without bearing the burden. You just can't wear a cross on your neck. He said, carry the cross. I don't mind wearing it, but if you're just wearing it and ain't carrying it, ain't no presence, the burden's going to get heavy. And this thing ain't picking you up. It's the presence of God. Oh, Father, we love you today. I just want to tell you as I close this morning that if you've been dropped, and I'll, I'll put this in there too, because I want to make sure that you don't carry somebody that has been dropped off to the king's table and refuses to eat. I'll carry you. Where are you carrying me to? I'm going to take you to the king's table. But when I get you to the, to the king's table, you're going to have to eat. I can't introduce you to the answer and you refuse to eat and be expected to continue to carry your burden. I've got nothing else to tell you. I'm going to be there for you and I'll carry your burden with you if you'll meet me at the king's table. 
But if you won't meet me at the king's table, then you're just going to have to walk it out. Because I can't, I ain't doing it. Because I have no other answer for you. And then they'll, they'll leave the king's table and then they'll end up in the pig pen and then you come to them and you say, all right, I'll bear your burden again, but we're going right back to the king's table. Because if you think you can put that on me without the presence of him, forget it. Oh, Sometimes you got to drop them <laughs> and wait for them until they're ready to go back to the king's table. I've been dropped myself and sitting over here, I can't find my walk. It's amazing what you'll do over here trying to figure it out when you already know it's at the king's table. But you'll keep pressing and you'll keep pushing and you'll keep burdening. You'll keep seeking. You'll keep asking. You'll be saying why and when and how come and what this and then the, the, the slop and the, the husk and, and the smell of pigs and uh, trying to find another way out of the hog pen that bypasses the king's table. I'd run, I, want, I want the promise, but I don't want the present because the the presence all co- it also comes with a with a burden. I just want all the good. <laughs> and what you come to find out his burden is light compared to the burden I created for myself. If you're here today under the sound of my voice, I want to pray with you. We're going to pray. We're going to close. God wants to be known. He wants to reveal himself to you. He can't be the God of your mom and dad. He can't be the God of grandma and grandpa. He can't be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob anymore. He can't be the God of someone else's promise, someone else's covenant, someone else's purpose. He's got to become your God today. And if you're here today and you're carrying someone else's burden and they refuse to eat at the king's table, maybe you just got to, okay. But I ain't leaving the king's table to come and eat your slop because you don't want to bear the burden or the weight of the presence that comes with the presence of God. Go ahead. I'll be there to pick you back up again. But I can't give it to you. I can't serve it up any other way. It's Jesus. It's God. It's the Father. It's the Holy Ghost. It's Him and Him alone. Father, restore our vision. Restore our sight. Restore our fire. That's you this morning. You say, I got... I need his presence. Let's everybody just stand for a moment. Maybe you know somebody that can't find their walk 
because they've been dropped or maybe you've been dropped and you can't find your walk I'm telling you let's come with me to the king's table this morning come with me to the king he doesn't want to kill you he wants to restore you he doesn't want to shame you he doesn't want to embarrass you he wants to restore you to his table he'll Jesus is all you If you're carrying a weight that seems too heavy, I'm going to pray. The measure of the presence of God that you need in your life to bear the burden that you're carrying today in the name of Jesus. Let the presence of God fall upon you. And you can carry that child one more day. You can carry that spouse one more day. You can carry that financial burden one more day. You can, you, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You're going to make it.